Well, there was a Sunday morning, and a pastor walked into the church, and, and as he was looking over at little Johnny, Johnny just kept looking up at that plaque. There was a plaque in the, in, in the vestibule that had little American flags on both sides of it. And Johnny's just staring up at it, and finally the pastor walks over to him and pats Johnny on the head and tells him good morning. And Johnny was only seven and very interested in the plaque for some reason. Johnny then asked, Pastor, what's with all the names on the plaque? The pastor said, well, Johnny, those are all the people that died in the service. Well, they sat there looking closely for a while, and Johnny looked up at the pastor and very quietly, calmly said, Pastor, which service, the 9 or the 1030? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, he had to take a pause after that, and we're going to take a pause from uh, our sermon series in the book of Acts. We've spent 21 weeks studying the book of Acts so far. 21 weeks. And, and it has been uh, extremely uh, profitable for me to go through this narrative as an individual. I don't know if, if you're like me, but I truly believe that I have grown in my faith and my love for Jesus Christ and for the church as we have studied the book of Acts. It, it, it has been um, eye-opening. You know, that's the, the benefit of when you preach certain portions of Scripture that I have found over the last three years, uh, especially, when you start digging into these books of the Bible at, at deeper and deeper levels, uh, God uses that to transform you, to change you. And I hope that uh, you could echo some of those uh, same feelings. Today I want to highlight five main things. Five main things that, uh, that we may have gleaned uh, from the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, the uniting power of God uh, to, to the people, the crucial decision uh, to proclaim the gospel, the good news, the life of the persecuted, and finally we'll close out some final thoughts about, about the one who sits on the right hand of God Almighty. Would you join me in praying as we prepare? Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we are thankful. We're thankful for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. We're thankful that you can transform us through your word. We're thankful for uh, the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful gift that is, that we should stand in awe, that we have you dwelling with us. Lord, we're thankful for your commitment uh, to us as sinners as Tiffany just prayed, we are sinners, God. And yet you gave us the perfect lamb. The best gift ever, 
Thank you for Jesus. We ask that uh, you guide us at this time and that you could be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to read the first 12 chapters of the book. Oh, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, but we are going to go through the book of Acts. We're not going to touch on any one particular scripture. We're going to actually go through uh, the whole book, the first 12 chapters. And, and, uh, but we're going to do this in a pretty quick way because it is a recap. It's a review of what we've already learned. And, and uh, it is advantageous for me uh, to go over things again. Jacob and I had an unbelievable conversation uh, on the way up here today talking about uh, how Jesus, how Christianity is different, how it is separated, how it is exclusively uh, its own religion compared to every other religion in the world. It, it, it is finite because we serve a God that demands that we worship him. And that we, we come to the realization that Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only way. He, he is our advocate with the Father. And we're going to talk about that because we're, we're going to see how Stephen was looking up and he saw Jesus get off of his throne. Instead of sitting on the right hand of God, he stood on the right hand of God. So we remember at the very beginning of Acts, we see Jesus Christ. He had already been resurrected. And he, and he goes to the, the apostles and others, and he teaches them. We even saw on the road to uh, Emmaus how, how, how much he taught them, even on that road to Emmaus. But he teaches them the entire historical understanding of how everything was pointing to him. And he gives that knowledge to Peter and John, the other apostles, and so many people that, that got to hear Jesus talking. Forty days. Forty days he spent doing this. And then he, he, he's, they, they stood there, and Jesus said, it is time. I have to go so he could come. Pointing to the Holy Spirit. We are talking about the acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Absolutely amazing. Jesus said, here is one of his final comments. Jesus told his disciples, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the power, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then he ascended. He ascended. All the disciples then, they, they went to Jerusalem where they were told to wait. And I wonder what that was like. They were waiting in a house, a place. They say 120 people were there. And they waited. And then the, the Feast of the Weeks came. The, the Pentecost came. 
And it was early in the morning. And what happened? The Holy Spirit fell upon them. We were talking in small group on Wednesday, and, and, and I, I threw out the, if you could ever go back in time and see something, that might be a wonderful thing to see. That moment when all of the people in the house, the Holy Spirit came and, and, and whatever happened, almost like fire upon their heads, and they spoke in different languages, and there's only one thing they could do. Praise God. When you're filled with something, we talked about this in, in my message back then, when you're filled with something, when you're filled with anger, anger comes out. When you're filled with, with joy, you, you have to smile. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's only one thing you could do. Praise God. Praise God. That's what you, that's what you do. And that filling happens over and over. You need to, you need to keep getting filled. But they were, were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as we're given upon our salvation. More to that later. So they went out, and, and, and all of a sudden, everyone hears them because there was a huge sound, and, and the town probably started moving their way there. This is a big feast going on, a big event. And, and, and people are like, what's going on? And they start preaching. And Peter, man, he just takes center stage and starts preaching the gospel, talking about who Jesus Christ is, what, they, what he saw, what he witnessed, but what he did, he's just telling about his life. And all of a sudden, people bow their knee to Jesus Christ. They commit their life. 3,000 plus people gave their life to Jesus Christ that day and were baptized. I think this was in my message. Where did they get all the water? 3,000 people in one day. It was awesome. It was the start of the church. Capital C. The church was on, uh, on the move. At that point, many signs, many wonders, all kinds of different things were happening. And people were, were continuously coming to the, to the Lord. And then Peter and John, Scripture tells us, they were doing this. They were pointing at the religious leaders. And they were saying, it was because of you that the king of kings was killed. And they didn't care what the repercussions of that were because they wanted to praise Jesus. They wanted to lift him up. Well, the religious leaders were extremely annoyed and actually enraged at one point that's when we see Peter and John being arrested the first time. Do you remember that? They got arrested, then they, they stayed the night there, and then in the morning, oddly, they gave them an audience. They wanted to hear what in the world they had to say, and so all the religious leaders gathered around. The Sadducees, they, they sat and they listened as Peter articulated their love for Jesus Christ. And what, what he had done, what he had taken on, who he was. And they listened. Now, we, we 
find out later on that there was a man named Saul probably in that audience as well. It's an interesting note. Saul was listening to all of this and, and taking it in. Well, they were threatened. They were threatened and, and, and they were released. And instead of, of heeding to their call of not preaching the gospel anymore, they started preaching it even more. They started proclaiming it louder and louder and louder. It's kind of like you telling your kids, hey, you guys got to be quiet. And then all of a sudden they're loudest that you could ever think of. Well, that boldness, Scripture tells us five, ten thousand 10,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The truth, it truly was spreading like wildfire. Had to be awesome to witness, to be in that situation. And then we get a glimpse uh, into some severe discipline within the church. You guys remember Ananias and Sapphira? They sold some property. They didn't have to give their money to the church. We see other people were giving their money to the church and giving their property. But Ananias and Sapphira, they, they wanted to keep a whole bunch for themselves. Yet, they wanted to be lifted up by the other people. And they lied. And they died. Right in the sight. Ananias was first, and then Sapphira came a little bit later, and she died in the same spot as her husband. And then we see Peter and John getting arrested again. Well, this time it didn't go so well for them uh, from a worldly vantage point. They were beat. They were told not to preach. Here's what the Bible says. Scripture says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. We're going to have a point here in a couple, couple moments talking about persecution this is how we handle persecution. We continue to preach and teach the love of Jesus Christ. That's all we do in your life. Well, after the, the, there's complaints within the church, there's commentary going within the church, the apostles get together and say, you know what? One of our main jobs, our main focuses has to be preaching the gospel and prayer. So we're going to create the Magnificent Seven. Well, that's what I call them, the Magnificent Seven. Men who, who just are, are in love with Jesus Christ, who are, are, are chosen from a large group of, of great men and, and who could serve the practical needs of the people. But not, not to be just held down to that, to allow them to do as the Holy Spirit leads. And we see uh, two highlighted stories. Uh, chapter 7, uh, we see Stephen. And chapter 8, we see Philip. Well, Stephen, he's out preaching, preaching the word. No one could compete with Stephen. He knew, he knew the message so clearly. So precisely, he was, he was so articulate in his words 
that no one could compete with them, and it actually got people ticked off. Stephen probably wasn't helping himself. He probably kept going at it. And eventually, they picked up large rocks. They picked up large rocks. And they took those rocks and they chucked them at him. And they killed him. The first Christian martyr that we have after the ascension of Jesus Christ. As he was dying, I, I alluded to it earlier, Stephen looked up. He was praising the Lord. Kind of like, like Jesus when he was dying on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a beautiful picture that was while he was dying. Well, this caused havoc. Absolute havoc. You know, Dr. Luke, he wrote the book of Acts through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he included a, a tiny little point in the Stephen story in chapter 7. And it was an excellent point. It said that there was a man who was watching and approving the situation, and his name was Saul. We know him as Paul. Later on, he's going to be just called Paul, and then from then on, he'll always be called Paul. His name was always Paul. We talked about that in one of my messages. His name had, he had two different names, Saul and Paul. But then it, it says, when he approved of that, it, it tells us in a few chapters, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, and he committed them to prison. Interesting contrast, isn't it? Peter and John and the apostles, they're going house to house, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Saul, he was, doing the, he was doing the same thing, but a little bit different technique. Instead of preaching the gospel, he was trying to push down the gospel. He was trying to punish the gospel. It wasn't good news, it was bad news, because it wasn't what he believed. He believed Jesus Christ was not the Savior of the world. He believed Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. He was a good Jew who knew Scripture well. He knew the history of Israel. He knew the history. Uh, he knew what Moses had done and Abraham and Jacob. and He knew all the stuff. He had studied it extremely well. We talked all about Saul, how how beautiful his mind was in um, understanding as an academic. He was a great academic. And you know what? You could be an unbelievable academic. You could know scripture frontwards and backwards. I have known numerous people, especially at college, that were geniuses from the world standpoint. But they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
so they had scales on their eyes they couldn't see. We're going to see that visual with Saul, with Paul, in a second. He gets scales on his eyes. As a reminder, you don't know anything. You can't even see the truth, even though you know everything. Well, he was, he was ticked, and, 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 and this is a genius move by God. Genius move to kill someone? Well, God is perfect. Absolutely perfect. One commentator put it this way. Paul, or excuse me, Saul, did his utmost to ruin the church, not caring what mischief he did to the disciples of Christ and set no bounds to his rage and cruelty. This is significant to understand. At this point, nearly all Christians went out of Jerusalem. Absolutely crucial for us to understand this. When Stephen was killed, it was crucial because it scattered everybody. All the believers, remember, well over 10,000 people trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at that point. They were all gathered at Jerusalem. It was all centralized. Remember all the thousands and thousands of people that came uh, to this Feast of Weeks on, on 50, 50 days after the resurrection, the Pentecost? They all came there for that. Well, in the midst of it, they came to know Jesus Christ. And they didn't want to leave. That's why they were all hungry. People needed to give money and, and, and sell their homes and give the, give the money to the church so the church can actually feed them and figure out what to do with all this. They didn't want to leave. They didn't want to go back to their places. They wanted to just love one another, be as a group, and that's a good thing. I think it's good. It's good to come together as a family. We do that on Wednesday nights. We do that here on Sunday. We do it other times, too, where we get together as a group, and we love on one another. But we are reminded the crucial aspect of spreading out, going to all different places, because the gospel needed to be taken away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a great place. Jerusalem was a wonderful place, but it, it, the message needed to spread. And so God uses the persecution to spread it. And he does it in such a, a dynamic way. The, the apostles, they stayed... They stayed in Jerusalem, Scripture teaches us. But people went all over the place, preaching the gospel, sharing what, they, what has happened to them. And, and I, I point back to Jesus' comments, and I shared them at the very beginning. Jesus said, because uh, Scripture says they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And that's exactly what Jesus said when he was being, when he was ascending. I need you to preach the gospel uh, to Judea and Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. We have a job to do. It's a crucial job. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. We pick up Philip here. Chapter 8. Philip Philip goes to Samaria, Samaria 
Philip's not the same Philip as the Apostle Philip. Tremendous name he has. Uh, but, but Philip and John come to Samaria and lay their hands on the people. Why? Because of number two, God unites the people. God is the uniter of the people. And you see, Peter, he was there at Pentecost. Peter is now coming to Samaria, and when he lays hands on the people that came to trust Jesus Christ and who were baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Remember Simon, he wanted that power too, and he, I think he offered money too. Hey, I'll give you a little bit of uh, some cash for that. I, I like that power too. Peter said, get away. But it was a crucial point in history because Peter is there for Pentecost. Peter is there for Samaria, which connected the, Jeru the, the people, uh, the Jews from Jerusalem would have never, ever, ever connected with the people from Samaria. We, we, you know the story of the Good Samaritan. That's why it was told. Because it, why would a Samaritan ever help? somebody because it was just about the goodness of their heart their love for people and so there was a huge connection that happened here that would have never happened if god wouldn't have allowed uh, the delay of the holy spirit coming upon these people we're going to see it uh in in a few chapters after this uh with cornelius's house peter comes and, and to the gentile people and and the Holy Spirit comes upon all of them. So Peter's involved in all three, and it's unifying the people. It unites the people. It brings them together. It, it makes them into one group of people. This was a huge awakening, an awesome time. I, I, I should make sure I point out again, Romans 8, 9, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, they teach it pretty clearly. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when, when Reggie was on the boat, we were in Mexico on a cruise and, uh, a couple years ago, and Reggie committed his life to Jesus Christ. At that moment, the Holy Spirit came to indwell within Reggie instantly. That's, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus ascending to heaven. He says it in John 15. He talks about, I have to go so he can come. The Holy Spirit is awesome. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God. And it, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to understand that. But this particular situation helped to unify the people. Absolute important, amazing thing in history. Well, then, then we, Dr. Luke takes us to the road to Damascus. You remember that scene. Saul's going there. He is going to uh, just deal with people. He's going to take names. He's mad. He's enraged. 
He is going to, he's not only just staying in Jerusalem anymore, he realizes that everyone's scattered and he's going to go place to place. Interesting enough, Samaria was kind of on the way to Damascus. And so it's interesting, he probably was super annoyed as he went through there and saw what Philip was doing. He's like, okay, I'll be back. I got you. Well, on his way, Jesus Christ himself shows up. The risen Jesus Christ shows up. And Saul instantly is humbled. I remember that moment in my life when Janae Thompson shared the gospel with me. I was instantly humbled. At who Jesus Christ was. I could not believe it. Saul, while he's on this road to Damascus to go kill, beat, imprison, whatever he needed to do, these people. All of his passion, all of his focus, all of his agenda was on something completely different and instantly it changed. Instantly, that, that, that agenda in his life changed. You've had those moments in your life. Maybe it was a car accident. Uh, it, it was a phone call. It was something that happened in your life that instantly your agenda changes. Well, for Saul, for Paul, this agenda was like no other. And he didn't even know what to do. He didn't know what to do. This is, this is what, in chapter 9, it says, He fell on the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wow. Dr. Luke then takes us to Ananias, a disciple serving Jesus Christ. And Ananias gets a vision that he's supposed to go love on, care for, and somehow heal a blindness of a killer, of someone who is ravaging exactly what he believed. Ananias like, um, do you know what he's doing? <laughs> he knew what he was doing. God fully understood. And Ananias, like a good servant of God, he did it. He made the trip over to where Saul was. And he shared the gospel. Shared the love. He healed him of his uh, of, of the blinders that were on. Scripture says he, he baptized them. And then Saul stayed with them 
Remember I told you earlier? Saul knew scripture better than almost anyone. He was a genius. He was a Pharisee. He understood God's word tremendously, yet he spent long months studying God's word in a completely new light. I think we need to do that too. You know, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, many of you know God's word. You know God's word so well. But we could spend more time in it. Uh, I, I, and, and it convinces me every single time we go through books of the Bible as pastors. Because we all not only learn, but we change. We change. Because scripture is powerful and it changes us. It's what we need to lean into. We've seen it numerous times throughout the book of Acts. We saw it with the apostles. We saw it with Stephen. We saw it with Philip. Uh, we, we saw it in so many powerful ways, how God was using people. He used it with Ananias. We need to be able to preach the gospel. It's the third point. Replicate the preaching of the gospel. Replicate the preaching of the gospel that's done in the book of Acts. The common denominator for all of these people was not that they were geniuses. The common denominator for all these people was not that they uh, uh, were uh, given a unique gift to heal people. The common denominator is that they heeded the Holy Spirit. Listened to God. And they said, well, what do you want me to do? We could do that. It doesn't matter who we are, how young we are, or how seasoned we are. We can share the gospel in dynamic and unique ways. In fact, the people that aren't the preachers are the ones who need to share the gospel the most. That, that's why we come to church. We come to church not so, uh, uh, so you can hear me preach the gospel. Hopefully you're encouraged. Hopefully uh, you're engaged. But you come to church to uh, uh, get a fire under you to, to try to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and to just go out and preach the gospel. At Helmer, uh, where I attend Helmer Lutheran Church down in Newark, they have a sign uh, just above the door as you're walking out, uh, go and preach the gospel uh, to all the nations. Our field is not in here. This is a great training ground. This is a great place uh, to, be, uh, to, to get more knowledge, more encouragement, more fire, more excitement. But out there is where we do the business of preaching the gospel. If we're, if we're going out into the schools, if we're going out into our jobs, if we're meeting with salespeople, if we're connecting with people uh, from our former jobs, from our former colleges, uh, from our former uh, 
high schools, you have an alumni event, you're going and connecting with uh, your family members, the gospel can be preached anywhere and everywhere. And people were dying to be able to do this. People were dying to be able to do it. The question is, is do you love believers and unbelievers alike? In order to be part of sharing the gospel, we need to find ourselves in circles of people that do not think like we think, that do not act like we act, that do not believe the way we believe. We make the mistake so many times that we only stick with certain types of people. Now, there's a season for that. There's a season for that. You're a young believer. There, there's, a, there's a hedge you need to put around you to really dig in and to understand who Jesus Christ is and to let him grow you and mature you. When, when you're, when you're uh, uh, what, what, what's, uh, is it first or second Peter maybe, uh, yearning for the pure spiritual milk, you want to drink that up? You know, there's a time where you protect your little peanut. You're, you're a little baby. And you need help from other people to encourage you. And you've got to step away. I did that. I remember I told my best friend in the world, I said, I can't be with you right now. I'm trying to get right with the Lord. I'm trying to focus on my life as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ. I love you and I will be with you but not right now. That was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. He, he is one of my dearest friends to this day. I just needed to step away. But our job as, as mature believers is to get into different circles intentionally to love people that don't think like us, don't act like us, don't believe like us. I'm using us as Christians. And that gives us opportunities to preach the gospel, just the same as the apostles, just the same as all of these disciples of Jesus. Because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ if you love him. You're an ambassador Take the message. You know what the message is? It's in your scriptures. Take that to all the people. We then see uh, Luke shifts back to, to Peter and, and, and tells about Peter uh, healing a paralyzed man that was bedridden for eight years. And, and then, and then the, 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 the people uh, run to him. Uh, Dorcas, beautiful name for a young lady. I'm not sure why you guys didn't name her Dorcas. Oh, a second choice, yeah. <laughs> Dorcas dies. What's her name? Tabitha, I think in the scripture it says Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. 
Dorcas is a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. She loves Jesus Christ, but she dies. And her people say, go get Peter. He's in the next town. I don't know what Peter was supposed to do at that point or what they thought he was going to do. Maybe, maybe he was going to lead the funeral and, and, and then they were going to need flowers. So you're going to be able to provide the flowers uh, for the funeral uh, at, at, for Dorcas. But Peter goes in and, and he sees Dorcas and, and he brings her back to life. He doesn't. God does. And, and people are amazed. They, they see him and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And people come to trust in Jesus Christ. And you know what town he's in? He's in Joppa. And, and he's, he's like, you know what? I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to stay with Simon. Simon at the Tanner's place. And, and, and so then Peter's praying and he gets hungry. Remember that? He got hungry. You're probably hungry now. It's getting that time. And Peter gets hungry, he asks for food, and, and then all of a sudden, Peter has a vision, and, and it's about food, about eating whatever, but he knows that it has a much broader meaning in this vision. They're supposed to Share the gospel with people that aren't Jews? What? That he doesn't get to pick? Well, then, right then, they come to the door, they knock, and it's people from Cornelius's camp saying, hey, 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 we heard you're here. We were told by an angel of the Lord that you're here. We need you to come with us. We want to hear what you have to say. So Peter goes, takes six people with him. When he walks in, all the people are there. I don't know how many people it was. All the people are there waiting. And they're talking and they're talking and sharing stuff. And Peter, he's just sitting there waiting. You know, sometimes we talk too quickly. We talk too much. And, and in this case, Peter waited. He heard what they had to say. Then scripture says he opened his mouth. And the moment he opened his mouth, people came to the knowledge, the understanding, the trust, the humbleness of bowing their knee before Jesus Christ. And a miraculous thing happened. The Holy Spirit came just like at Pentecost and filled the room. And what did people do? <laughs> they started speaking other languages. And what, what do you do when you're filled with something? Something has to come out. In this case, when you're filled with the Spirit, you praise the Lord. You praise the Lord. And that's what they were doing. It was miraculous. However, he knew he had to go back and tell the other apostles what happened. They weren't going to be happy with it. He wasn't, going to, he wasn't supposed to eat supper with a Gentile, with someone like that. He wasn't supposed to do that. But he had six companions with him who, who saw it as well. And, and, and when they heard the story, 
and, he, and he, they heard the miraculous things that happened and, and, and the responses. Here, here's what the other apostles said, Acts 11, 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Even for the Gentiles. Absolutely crucial to understand that. That this was a transition in the church, capital C, that not only the Jews could be followers of the Almighty, not even people who became circumcised that weren't Jews but came into the Jewish faith. No, no. Christianity was for everybody who bowed their knee before Jesus Christ. Like you and me. Acts eleven eighteen, absolutely crucial. We need to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to uh, remember how God unites the people and, and how we need to replicate the gospel. And then the fourth thing, we need to realize that the church faces persecution. We face persecution. They face persecution. We've seen it already all throughout the chapters that we have read, different types of persecution. It's always faced persecution in some fashion. And the book of Acts is no different. And you know what? In, in 2018, it is no different. Persecution is going throughout all the church, throughout all the world, and it plays itself out in different ways. Earlier we heard about the killing of Stephen. Now in the 11th chapter, uh, we see a picture of what God does with the people that are persecuted. You see, most of the time when persecution happens, the church grows. And in this case, we're going to see it, we see it in Antioch. That, that a church is established in Antioch and, and, and it's unbelievable. And it's because of the disbursement, uh, the, the spreading of people after the killing of Stephen, of how all of this happens and how people are in love with Jesus Christ from all over the areas. The great encourager, Barnabas, he's involved with this. He finds Saul, and he says, you know what, let's spend a year here. Let's serve here at Antioch and, and help raise the church and strengthen the church so they can go out and teach their people. You and I, we face different types of persecution than they did. I'm not going to, no one's waiting for me out at my van, going to arrest me because I'm preaching the gospel today. It could happen, but not today in America. In other places, persecution is happening at high rates, um, at dangerous rates, and yet the church continues to spread. And it's because people have understood the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that Jesus Christ has is much more powerful than the blade. You can cut my head off, but you cannot pierce my soul. Because only one person pierced my soul, and that was Jesus Christ. 
When, when we lean into the potentiality of persecution and understand that God will allow persecution to happen within our lives, within, uh, within our world, we know we have opportunities to praise Jesus even through that. And many times that is how the gospel gets spread. Luke adds about the murder of, of Mark, how Peter went to jail. People are praying for Peter to be released from jail. All of a sudden an angel of the Lord unlocks everything, wakes Peter up. Peter thinks he's actually uh, having another vision, kind of like he did in Joppa. He's all of a sudden, he's at the house, knocks on the door. Young servant girl knocks on the door or answers the door and then closes it on him. I think she slams it on him. I don't know if she does that. It was at the gate, I think. No one believes him, and, and then Peter comes in, and they rejoice in the Lord. And what does Peter do? Peter, in the threat, knowing that Mark died and, and that King Herod is going to kill him as the next uh, example, he goes out and preaches the gospel. He goes out and shares, shares the message with, with a dynamic ability because he loves Jesus Christ more than anything else. Obviously, King Herod isn't happy. We, we see in Scripture that the, the uh, guards, the jailers, they don't become happy because they're executed because somehow Peter got out. Then we see, uh, we get just a little glimpse about King Herod, how he's being lifted up and people love him and, and he really thinks he's a hot shot and in fact he thinks he's probably as good as God himself. And Luke says, he dies. In fact, the worms eat him. I love that little point. That he's eaten by worms. Well, in the end, the end is, is always the same. We rejoice in the perfect love of the risen Jesus. That's it. Fifth point. We rejoice in the perfect love of the risen Jesus. Jesus is everything. Amen? Jesus is the king. Amen? Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher. He's the Emmanuel. He's the light of the world. Jesus is the resurrection. He's the bread of life. He's the true vine. He's the son of the blessed. Jesus was, he is, and he always will be perfect. He's the one that Dr. Luke was trying to lift up in this book of Acts. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for these chapters. I'm thankful that today, I get to praise Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior.